The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I actually have some uh, good news to start with today. Um, We have been sort of worried that not enough people in the United States, in other countries as well. But we've been looking at the numbers in the United States that not enough people in the U.S. would want the coronavirus vaccine, which would make it really difficult to get to the herd immunity that is necessary for life to really start going back to normal in the context of the pandemic. But the good news is that every single week, the percentage of Americans that want the vaccine and plan to get the vaccine and would accept the vaccine were it made available to them is going up. And that's excellent. Uh, That number is now at 71 percent, 71 percent of Americans say they would get the vaccine. And remember that just months ago, only 40 percent of Americans wanted it. And that crept up to 50 percent, 60, 63 percent about a month and a half ago. And that number is now at 71 percent. And the poll that shows 71 percent is from before Joe Biden and Dr. Anthony Fauci received their first doses over the last 36 to 48 hours, which hopefully will push interest in getting the vaccine up even further. Now, the 27 percent that remain hesitant about this vaccine, um, there's a few characteristics. These are a few different groups. So those who remain vaccine skeptical are disproportionately Republicans disproportionately those 30 to 49 and disproportionately people who live rurally uh, and disproportionately uh, black American who who are the most vaccine hesitant groups. Now, the reasons why each of these groups is hesitant about the vaccine differ. Um, Some of the primary reasons are fear of side effects, fear that the vaccine is too new, which can mean a lot of different things, but that that's the way they described it. Um, and among among black Americans, the primary reasons for vaccine coronavirus vaccine hesitancy are general distrust of vaccines and concerns that one could get coronavirus from the coronavirus back vaccine. Now, in terms of states, I don't this is not super surprising, but there's some interesting data points here based on data from the IHME from a few days ago. The states where residents most want the vaccine are Vermont, New York, Minnesota, Washington State, California, Hawaii, Virginia and Colorado, followed closely by sort of the rest of the Northeast states, plus North Carolina and a few others. Now, on the other side of this, the states where residents least want the vaccine um, at the absolute bottom of the list are Mississippi, Arkansas and Wisconsin. Now, th- I'm guessing that there are particulars about why Wisconsin is there. I don't know if maybe Wisconsin has a number of different religious uh, uh, groups and sects there. I don't know if there's one that is overwhelmingly anti vaccine. I'd be interested in knowing more about that. But Mississippi, Arkansas and Wisconsin are the most uh, the state's most least interested in the coronavirus vaccine, followed by Um, A number of states like Texas, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio, Indiana, Oklahoma, Kansas. So there's quite a long list in sort of that lower but not lowest range. So 
bottom line, it's good that the numbers are up to 71 percent. I do want to remind you the vaccine is not going to be given to kids anytime soon. So when we talk about 70 percent for herd immunity, we're talking about the whole country. So 71 percent of adults wanting and getting the vaccine eventually doesn't get us to 70 percent of the entire country. We still would not be at herd immunity, but these are the best numbers we've had since the start of this thing. And that's good. Um, the public campaigns to say I got the vaccine and people posting pictures uh, on on Facebook and social media, Dr. Fauci getting the vaccine, et cetera. That does seem to be working uh, because getting a vaccine in the abstract before anybody's getting it um, is not likely to appeal to as many people as getting the vaccine that my 12 nurse friends got and posted on Facebook about. And that's certainly helping. Now, as of this morning, 777,000 Americans have received the first dose of the vaccine. That's 0.23% of the U.S. population. It's a start, but again, un unless, and we're expecting to, unless we ramp up the number of vaccines going out and, and being uh, used to inoculate people every week goes up, uh, it's going to take a while. It's going to be a process. Now, in terms of more vaccines, remember that currently in the U.S., there's the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccines that have been approved. The Moderna vaccine is just now starting to be given to people. And then we have the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine close to possible approval. And then behind that, you've got the Novavax and Johnson and Johnson vaccines moving ahead pending results. So in the end, whatever the polls say, start distributing it get it to people, keep the process moving forward, and we'll keep evaluating month to month and really week to week. Now, an important note, and I don't understand this yet. I've seen the data. I don't I haven't interpreted the data. Um, even though states have now it's been several days, uh, in, in fact, more than that, since uh, states received their first shipments, many states have only so far actually uh, uh, used 10 to 15 percent of the vaccines that they've received. Now, I express concern that we we don't want to see lots of vaccines just sitting around and not being used. And a lot of this is getting the logistics up and running. And I understand that. But over time, if if we are seeing that states are sitting on a bunch of vaccine with lack of clarity or or or, or um, execution in terms of actually getting it to people, that will be a concern and we'll cross that that bridge when we come to it. But the urgency can't be exaggerated. Another thirty four hundred people died yesterday of the virus. Absolutely tragic numbers. OK, uh, this this story is a headache um, and, and there's just so much to talk about. So let's let's do it in detail and kind of do it justice. Donald Trump surfaced from the hole in which he's been hiding for weeks yesterday to deliver a four minute speech about the covid relief package, which we deeply criticized yesterday for its many flaws and its cronyistic elements. And the, I would say there's a two sided coin to, to Donald Trump's four minute speech. There's things I, he said I agree with and things he, that he said that I disagree with. But it's actually much worse than that. It's like a four sided coin that you would be using on a chessboard while playing 4D chess. I, I mean, the, I don't have a metaphor to really explain the erratic and confused nature of what Donald Trump said yesterday. So rather than tell you in advance, let, let's just start going through it. Some aspects of this uh, four minute statement are completely deranged. And at the same time, Donald Trump correctly said six hundred dollars per person is not enough. I would like to see two thousand dollars per person. That's great. 
But this was still a wacky lie riddled fiasco. So let's go through it all. You will also notice Donald Trump doesn't look or sound good slurring a lot. That thing where he's tripping over his tongue, almost like his teeth are too big or his tongue's getting in the way worse than we saw before the election. So let's just jump right into it. We're going to look at the full four minutes throughout the summer. Democrats cruelly blocked covid relief legislation in an effort to advance their extreme left wing agenda and influence the election. So this is already a lie. I mean, Democrats proposed more relief months ago before the summer. Mitch McConnell said we're not doing another relief bill. Trump was MIA every once in a while saying, well, we're, we're, there's negotiation. Uh, so so that's just an absolute lie. Democrats almost immediately after the first bill were proposing, even including two thousand dollars per month per month, like our friend Ro Khanna. Let's continue. Then a few months ago. Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, it's called the COVID relief bill. But it has almost nothing to do with COVID. OK, now Trump is correct. Uh, the bill is outrageously long. Members of Congress didn't have time to read it and tons of it has nothing to do with COVID. But it's not that the COVID bill has nothing to do with COVID. Remember, they wrapped up together a funding of government bill and the COVID bill, 5,500 pages, and we're given everything to vote on together. So Trump, Trump is right that not, there wasn't enough time, but he's now starting to get into one of the big deceptions of the speech. Let's continue. This bill contains eighty five point five million dollars for assistance to Cambodia, one hundred and thirty four million dollars to Burma, one point three billion dollars for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment. $25 million for democracy and gender programs in Pakistan. $505 million to Belize, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua, and Panama. $40 million for the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., which is not even open for business. $1 billion for the Smithsonian and an additional $154 million for the National Gallery of Art. Likewise, these facilities are essentially not open. $7 million for reef fish management, $25 million to combat Asian carp, $2.5 million to count the number of amberjack fish in the Gulf of Mexico, a provision to promote the breeding of fish in federal hatcheries, $3 million in poultry production technology, $2 million to research the impact of downed trees, $566 million for construction projects at the FBI. OK, so so this this is this is now where it goes completely off the rails. Um, first of all, Trump only mentions countries he doesn't care for or, or sort of like asshole countries, countries he doesn't think we should give money to. And he mentions climate and environment related stuff that he also doesn't care for. 
and, and I want to be careful because this is two sided. None of that stuff is part of the covid bill. Remember, they had two bills together. This was like an omnibus. You had the funding of government and you had covid. And in the funding of government, you have aid and money designated for different countries. Now, it's not really the covid bill. Does Trump know that? I don't know the answer to that. There are lots of people who fell for the idea that a lot of these things are in the covid bill when they're not. Trump could be lying in order to make a political point or I don't know. But Trump himself may not real like Trump may just be watching Newsmax, Fox, whatever, and he may be falling for the idea that the funding is in the covid bill. Um, I, I don't know. I, re I really don't know the answer now. In fairness, overall, when you look at the totality of what's going on here, uh, uh, Don Donald Trump is simultaneously stumbling across some important critiques of the system. Like Trump doesn't. This is it's so insane. If Trump, instead of just saying we're giving money to Pakistan and for carp or whatever, if he were to say and 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 sort of say, also mentioning. 5,500 pages. They didn't have time to look at it. If instead he said these two bills shouldn't even be together, the covid bill should be simple. It should be a standalone bill. It should have been shorter. People should have been able to. It should have been short enough that everybody can actually look at it and then separately deal with this other bill. That would be a really good critique of how politics is done. Instead, Trump goes almost into his xenophobic stuff of listing countries we shouldn't be giving money to. And then he builds on that by going into the immigration stuff. The bill also allows stimulus checks for the family members of illegal aliens, allowing them to get up to $1,800 each. This is far more than the Americans are given. Now, this is really deceptive. Trump's claim is that Americans get $600, but illegal immigrants get $1,800. Th that's just not true. OK, and, and let's see if I can explain this. What is true is that if you are a U.S. citizen or a legal permanent resident with a green card, you get six hundred dollars and you get the six hundred dollars even if your spouse or partner is here illegally. OK, the spouse or partner doesn't get six hundred dollars. Undocumented immigrants don't get any money. You don't lose your six hundred dollars if your spouse or partner is an undocumented immigrant and if you are here legally and you have kids here, you get the six hundred dollars per kid, even if your spouse or partner uh, is an undocumented immigrant. So so Trump saying illegal immigrants get more money than Americans is wrong in a bunch of different ways. The point is being with an undocumented immigrant does not preclude you as a legal citizen or resident from getting six hundred dollars for yourself or the six hundred dollars per child. It's a completely fabricated way to attack immigrants. Let's continue. Despite all of this wasteful spending and much more, the nine hundred billion dollar package provides hardworking taxpayers with only six hundred dollars each in relief payments and not enough money is given to small businesses and in particular restaurants whose owners have suffered so grievously. They were only given a deduction for others to use in business their restaurant for two years. 
This two-year period must be withdrawn, which will allow the owners to obtain financing and get their restaurants back in condition. Congress can terminate it at a much later date, but two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. Now, this is where I find Trump to be saying some things correctly, and this is why the populist rhetoric can be so tricky and so pernicious. Trump is saying six hundred dollars isn't enough and there isn't enough for small businesses like restaurants. I agree that's correct, but it's all wrapped up in lies and xenophobia. But on that point, I agree. And Donald Trump actually makes a couple more good points. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation. So Trump wants $2,000, not $600. That number happens to be exactly what people like Ro Khanna, congressman, have been asking for for months, including when Trump claimed, oh, Democrats didn't negotiate. He said that at the very start of the speech. This is all backwards. And, and along those lines, Trump now complaining about all these countries getting money, Egypt, etc. Trump asked for those countries to get money in his budget. But now he's saying the problem is they're getting the money in the covid bill, which they're really not. They're getting it in the bill that was voted on in con in conjunction with the covid bill. So it's all lies. And then now Trump on the number of dollars per person happens to pick the exact number that many Democrats were asking for two thousand dollars. And immediately many Democrats jumping and saying, great, let, we'll rewrite it right now and put in two thousand dollars that it doesn't. Republicans don't want that, but we're glad to do that. So Trump is right on some aspects here, but he's a liar and he's completely disingenuous. And then now the rap with Donald Trump threatening to veto and he just can't help himself. He has to throw in. Maybe he will actually be the person sworn in this January 20th and not Joe Biden. And to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a covid relief package. And maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. Thank you very much. He cannot help himself. He at any event, no matter what it's about, he has to say it might be me who gets that second term on January 20th, not Joe Biden. So the big picture is uh, if Trump does veto it, nobody gets a penny. And that's the risk right now. Uh, let's call Trump's bluff. Trump says he wants two grand. Rewrite the bill. Democrats say you want to do the two grand and put it on Republicans to say no. If Trump really is serious about he wants two grand per person, Democrats are ready to do it, do it and make it be Mitch McConnell or whoever is going to come out and say, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to do the two grand. So we'll see what the next 24 hours bring. If this ends up getting people two thousand instead of six hundred dollars, even as disingenuous and dishonest and clueless as Trump is, I'll be I'll be glad. And remember, I'm getting zero. I'm not negotiating for myself. I'm not getting any money from this. Um, but remember, there were two bills here, funding government and covid. 
And uh, if it's vetoed, not only do people get nothing, we may even end up with another government shutdown. Who knows what happens then in terms of transition, in terms of so many different things. Uh, but we'll 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 deal with that if and when it becomes an issue. Remember that on January 1, 2021, we have a one day membership special going on. If you've been thinking of grabbing a membership at joinpacman.com, but you want a completely disgusting, immoral discount with which to do it. One one twenty one is the day. Uh, if you want to be notified of this great membership special, just uh, get on our newsletter. You can sign up at davidpackman.com. And uh, January 1st, you will get a perfect email from me telling you exactly how to sign up. The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com. Hey, take a minute to check out our sponsor. It's called Just Egg. Many of you know that over the years I've made my diet more plant based for a variety of reasons. I've always loved eggs. And Just Egg is a great way to take a food many of us love, but make it a plant based version. Just Egg has all the protein of eggs, but it's made from mung beans. So it uses 98% less water and causes 93% fewer carbon emissions than a conventional egg. Just Egg cooks and tastes exactly like a conventional egg. I've tried it for omelets, scrambled eggs, French toast, banana bread, pad thai, even. Anything you'd normally use eggs for. I actually think if I cooked something for a friend without telling them about just egg, they wouldn't even know the difference. You can find it in the egg aisle at your grocery store or on Amazon Prime Now or Instacart. They also have a frozen version, which is perfect for breakfast sandwiches. Just egg. Check it out. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20 percent off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. The best way to support The David Pakman Show is to grab a membership at joinpakman.com. Not only will you get commercial free audio and video feeds of the entire show every day, no waiting for YouTube clips to publish. Um, you'll also get the daily bonus show in audio and video formats, an extra show. There's a whole other show behind the curtain uh, for our members. Uh, sign up 
at joinpacman.com. Uh, okay, Donald Trump has started the pardons. Well, he's continuing the pardons. A speculation for several weeks about exactly when a flurry of pardons and commutations would come from Donald Trump. Speculation continues about the preemptive pardons Trump is said to be considering for Rudy Giuliani and his children, his son in law, Jared Kushner, and many, many others. But there are now 15 or so more pardons and commutations issued yesterday by Donald Trump. Now, as far as the Russia probe, remember the one that led to all sorts of arrests and indictments. Um, Donald Trump has pardoned his own former foreign policy advisor, uh, George Papadopoulos, who was found guilty of lying to federal investigators, as well as Alex Vanderswan, who was the Dutch lawyer who also lied to investigators in connection with the Russia investigation. So slowly but surely, Donald Trump is pardoning everybody who was wrapped up in the Mueller probe. It's a sort of revisionist history. The the investigation did find lots of crimes. They like to claim it didn't. But in any case, Trump will just keep pardoning everybody and in a way retroactively wipe the slate clean. Even those folks were convicted and, and a pardon uh, a part of, you know, this is a kind of a bigger legal debate. But if you're pardoned, then you're, you're conceding you were guilty. Now, you could say, well, it was an unfair guilty verdict and you can make that case. Uh, Donald Trump also pardoning former Republican Congressman Duncan Hunter, former Republican Congressman Kil Chris Collins, four Blackwater mercenaries involved in an Iraqi massacre. That's an entire other story we previously covered Two Border Patrol agents convicted in 2006 for shooting and wounding an unarmed, undocumented immigrant and then actually covering it up. Just a horrible signal that that sends. Uh, Trump uh, pardoned several people convicted of nonviolent drug crimes who were serving long sentences that I agree with. Trump also pardoning um, Alfonso Costa, a dentist who pleaded guilty to health care fraud, Alfred Lee Crum, who pleaded guilty to illegally distilling moonshine 70 years ago, Weldon Angelos, who was sentenced to 55 years for selling marijuana and carrying a handgun, a uh, Philip Lyman, county commissioner in Utah, who was sentenced to 10 days in jail because of his uh, protest on ATV restrictions on federal land. OK, and Otis Gordon, who was convicted of possession with intent to distribute. Also, Philip S. Formas, a Florida nursing home mogul convicted for uh, paying bribes in a Medicare fraud case, also had some of his sentence commuted by Trump. And in addition to the pardons, a number of commutations, the remaining prison term of former Congressman Steve Stockman, that's the Texas Republican convicted for almost two dozen felonies, including fraud and money laundering. And Trump saying that uh, because Stockman is 64, with underlying pre-existing conditions. He's at greater risk during covid and he already got covid while in prison. What's interesting about that is Trump says, hey, I'm good now because I got covid. But even though this guy already got covid and recovered, it's still a reason to pull him from prison. A little bit incoherent, but it is Trump after all. So the big picture here is number one, this is likely to be just the start of Donald Trump's pardons. Number two, this is a separate uh, path It's a separate topic. Um, than the preemptive pardons being considered for his family members, people like 
Jared Kushner, Ivanka, Don Jr., Eric Trump. And we've learned over the last seven to 10 days the possible reasons they would benefit from a preemptive pardon. Uh, Jared Kushner potentially already being investigated for uh, creating this shell company through which hundreds of millions of dollars in campaign donations may have been laundered. Rudy Giuliani reportedly talking to Trump about a preemptive pardon, et cetera. But here is the clear trend. Uh, and actually, listen to this data point. Harvard Law School professor Jack Goldsmith looked at Trump's pardons so far and found that 88% of the pardons so far are for people either personally tied to Trump or people whose actions furthered Trump's political aims or protected him in some way. Now, presidents have absolute pardon power. We know that Trump has repeated that often. It's not really in question, legally speaking. The issue here is that it's always more corrupt with Trump. So many of the pardons are for crimes committed by people connected to Trump or even people who helped Trump by the crimes they committed, including lying to investigators ostensibly to protect Donald Trump in the Mueller probe. So we can have a broader debate about pardons in general, and we've had that debate, and that's not really the topic here. With Trump, there's always he's able to dial up the corruption and cronyism just a little bit or, or even significantly. And that's exactly what he's done here. And we'll wait and see what the full list of pardons is. Uh, this is super interesting. Our old friend Andrew Yang, who ran for the Democratic presidential nomination this year, um, is already leading a poll for New York City mayor, uh, even though he's not running yet. And there's been a movement to draft Andrew Yang to be New York City mayor. He's not yet a candidate. Uh, and among Democrats, meaning within the New York City Democratic mayoral primary, Andrew Yang is winning. Yang is polling 17. Eric Adams polling 16. Everybody else at 10 or below. There's another poll from a couple weeks ago where it was Andrew Yang 20 with Eric Adams, who I believe is the uh, council. I believe he's the council president in New York City uh, down at 14 percent. So this is the 2021 election. Uh, the New York City mayoral election is on November 2nd, 2021. The primary is on June 22nd. So we're already only six months from the New York City mayoral primary. And, and in the grand scheme of things, that's pretty soon. It'll just be five months once Joe Biden is inaugurated. Now, the current New York City mayor, Bill de Blasio, uh, is term limited from running again. And this upcoming election is going to be the first one in New York City using ranked choice voting. So there's a bunch of very interesting things uh, re related to this. Uh, it's very early. The polling is basically a tie within the margin of error in this latest poll. And Andrew Yang hasn't even announced. And that's exactly what makes this so interesting without even being a candidate, merely with the rumor of being a candidate this early. Andrew Yang is already doing really well. Now, at the same time, even though Andrew Yang is not yet running, he has signaled that he is likely to run in a few different ways. First of all, there are lots of people claiming they've been told privately that Andrew Yang plans to run for New York City mayor. Second, there are people saying that Andrew Yang has actually decided to run and is simply waiting for January, maybe after Joe Biden's inauguration to make the announcement. But Andrew Yang has been meeting with some important New York City figures, Corey Johnson, who's speaker of the city council to talk about running. 
He's hired as advisors of Bradley Tusk and Chris Coffey, who advised Michael Bloomberg when Michael Bloomberg ran for mayor. So I think this is very interesting for a number of different reasons. Number one, Andrew Yang would bring up sort of pragmatism to the office of mayor that Bill de Blasio, even for as well intentioned as he may be, I, I think lacks. And I think that would be a very interesting uh, aspect. You know, one of the critiques of Andrew Yang is that as president, Andrew Yang's approach of sort of like the uh, uh, tech CEO um, consultant technocratic approach that it's not well suited for the president. It actually may be well suited for New York City mayor in some ways, which we'll dig into if indeed he he announces. Number two, there's going to be many people who, if Andrew Yang does announce that he's running for New York City mayor, who are going to say Andrew Yang's not really progressive and there are going to be other New Yorkers, maybe not in the Democratic primary, but I'm thinking of Staten Island Republicans who are going to say Yang is a socialist because he believes in universal basic income, which was one of his main uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, distinguishing policy ideas during the Democratic primary. So you're going to have I mean, listen, it's no different than with Biden, where the, the progressive left says Biden's not very progressive and the right says Biden's a socialist, communist, Venezuelan, Marxist, Stalinist, whatever. It'll be even further exacerbated because this is all, you know, millions of people in a very small geographical area. So I think the contrast will be very notable. And number three, there, there's an interesting identity story here as well. Andrew Yang would be only the second Asian American candidate to even run for mayor. The other was John Liu in uh, 2013. And then number four, because Andrew Yang has such nationwide name recognition, it would be very interesting to see how beneficial that is in a, in a New York City race. New York City mayor is one of the least local local races because people and companies from all over the country, even all over the world, have a vested interest, a financial interest in many cases in who is mayor of New York City, typically for business related considerations. What I wonder if Andrew Yang has thought of, and he probably has, uh, I, I would imagine he has been thinking about it, is that New York City mayor is a job where almost no matter what you do, um, you are going to have a large swath of New Yorkers furious with you about the job that, that you've done with some very rare brief exceptions like Rudy Giuliani after 9-11. New York City is so diverse politically economically, racially, uh, uh, it, it, in all ways, you know, from Bronx, Queens, the Manhattan crowd, even within Manhattan, Staten Island, the most conservative part of New York City. Uh, there's a, a large swath of the population that's almost always furious with the New York City mayor. You are one of the most powerful local officials in the country as New York City mayor. You run a government larger than many states as New York City mayor. And it comes with some horrible realities that the mayor is always being ripped apart. But in the end, it's not that different from being president when half the country hates you. But geographically, again, the hate is in a much smaller area and it's around all the time. I'm sure Andrew Yang can handle it. Every expectation is that we'll hear from him next month about whether or not he decides to run. And many reports that it's a foregone conclusion that he's running. He simply is waiting to announce. So let me know your thoughts. I think it's there were ideas of what about if he runs for governor somewhere? Uh, what if Andrew Yang runs for Senate somewhere? But New York City mayor is very interesting, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about it. And we'll have more coverage about uh, Andrew Yang's possible NYC mayoral run 
and all of the stories from today's show on the David Pakman Show Instagram page. Find us at David Pakman Show, all one word on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram at david.pakman. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you are anything like me, you probably aren't thrilled with the idea of going into a doctor's office right now. And thankfully, there is a practical and affordable way to take control of your health and get personalized care from the comfort of your home. It's a service called Steady MD. They're one of our sponsors. You take a quiz, you get matched with a licensed primary care physician who understands your health needs. You have a one hour video call with your new doctor. You establish a meaningful relationship with them. And after that, your doctor is available to you anytime by text, phone or video chat. This is not a random doctor on call. Each doctor at Steady MD has a limited number of patients, so they actually have time to listen to you. You get the personal attention that you deserve. They can do almost everything an in-person doctor can do perform medical evaluations, talk to you about health concerns, send prescriptions to your home or local pharmacy and anything they can't do online. They'll quickly set you up with an in-person provider to do things like blood tests. As an example, you don't need insurance. It's only ninety nine bucks a month with no other fees or copays. There are so many practical advantages to using steady MD for primary care, and it's also so much more affordable. Go to steadymd.com slash Pacman to take the free quiz and see which doctor is right for you. I took their quiz. They matched me with a doctor who specializes in my particular health needs. The doctor they gave me is a really perfect fit for me. Again, that's steadymd.com slash Pacman. There's no risk, no commitment to get started. That's S T E A D Y M D.com forward slash P A K M A N. I want to take a second to tell you about one of our sponsors, SNH Masks. SNH Masks has everything you need when it comes to face masks and other protective gear for COVID-19, and they're giving my audience 20% off. SNH Masks is the company that I've personally been going to for face masks. I love and trust the products they sell, and that's actually why I reached out to them about being a sponsor. I've tried tons of different face masks this year like many of you. And I still have not found a mask that is more comfortable or easier to breathe in than the washable cotton masks that they sell. It's made of a silky lightweight cloth that feels great on the skin, has a convenient adjustable strap. They also have disposable cloth masks, which are really comfortable, as well as all of the other gear like face shields, alcohol wipes, no touch infrared thermometers. And all of their prices are very reasonable. I also love SNH masks because they've donated over 60,000 masks to healthcare institutions. They're an excellent company. Shipping is just five bucks and shipping is free on orders over one hundred and fifty dollars. You can get there by going to davidpackmancom slash mask. The link is in the podcast notes and you can save 20 percent on everything in their store when you use coupon code David. Welcome back to the David Pakman Show. 
The situation with Donald Trump's legal team is becoming more of a uh, soap opera than anything I recall seeing over the last 25 years relating so directly to the president of the United States. Donald Trump's former lawyer and almost special counsel, Sidney Powell, is now claiming she's been banned from the White House. Um, I don't know whether to start with the new part or uh, let's start with the new part and and then we'll go backwards and I'll catch you up on everything. So listen to this. Uh, Sidney Powell telling Fox News she's been banned from the White House and from speaking to Trump. Check this out. This is during an interview on Fox News where anchor John Roberts is interviewing Republican strategist Karl Rove is uh, General Flynn's attorney, Sidney Powell, who suggests that after a meeting on Friday night, she's been banned from the White House in a statement to Fox News saying I've been blocked by White House counsel and others from seeing or speaking to the president since I raised the public formal findings and even more evidence of foreign interference from Iran and China. Uh, I'm told that she still has the ability to call the president. She's not on any kind of do not admit list at the White House, but I do know there are many people in senior positions at the White House who would prefer that Ms. Powell and others stay away from. OK, so now that we've seen that, you really have to understand the backstory to comprehend the level of absurdity that that is going on here. So shortly after the election, Donald Trump tweeted about Sidney Powell as one of the lawyers representing him. Uh, he tweeted on November 14th, Rudy Giuliani, Joseph DeGeneva, Victoria Tensing, Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis, a truly great team added to our lawyers and representatives. Very clear. Trump says Sidney Powell's part of my team. Great. Shortly after that, Sidney Powell joined Donald Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and others at this bizarre basement press conference where they made all sorts of, uh, of very unusual claims, none of them based in fact. And this is the major press conference at which Sidney Powell started making the radical claims about Hugo Chavez, Antifa and George Soros were part of a plan to steal the election for Trump. And this was so crazy that it got the Trump campaign to put out a statement basically distancing from and, and sort of like firing Sidney Powell saying Sidney Powell is practicing law on her own. She is not a member of the Trump legal team. She is also not a lawyer for the president in his personal capacity. So it seemed Sidney Powell was out if she was ever in, which Trump said she was. She was then out per the Trump campaign until last Friday. She shows up at the Oval Office and she's the one talking to Trump about maybe martial law. Maybe we seize voting machines and all sorts of other wacky ideas, as well as reportedly telling others in the room who were saying, you know, sir, that's illegal, saying you guys are quitters. That made instant headlines because, number one, it's nuts. And number two, supposedly Trump was distanced from Sidney Powell. So how is she in the Oval Office and how is she potentially going to be made special counsel? And then now this, which is Sidney Powell says she's been banned from the White House and from speaking to Trump. And now they're all going after her. Here's another clip of Karl Rove during his uh, same interview with Fox News, just bashing Sidney Powell. Ms. Powell has peddled theories that have little basis. In fact, uh, the idea that Hugo Chavez from the grave was somehow involved in stealing this year's election and that that I mean, she was poured out in a courtroom recently where all of her expert witnesses, which, you know, one of them was so uh, highly prized that he had to have a code name and couldn't be revealed. And he was a she sold him as a highly 
you know, expert military mm -hmm. intelligence analyst, turned out to be a mid-level computer programmer from Dallas who couldn't even pass the entrance exams for the 305th Intelligence Brigade uh, in <laughs> Intelligence School. He couldn't even pass the exams, and he was her high-level advocate. She had another expert who couldn't tell the difference between election precincts and townships in Minnesota and Michigan and claimed that 151% turnout in Wayne County, Michigan, when any idiot with access to Google and the, and the county election returns could have seen that the turnout was 51 percent, not 151. I mean, what she has done to sort of, uh, you know, to th throw mud on the president through her antics is unbelievable. I, it, the president has been so ill served by this crowd and, and she's chief among them. What I absolutely love about this is that Karl Rove is absolutely right in his criticism of Sidney Powell. But the things that Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis have been peddling are only marginally less crazy than what Sidney Powell has been saying. Carl Rove and John Roberts now are framing this as, whoa, Sidney Powell's nuts. But actually, they're all nuts and their work is totally worthless and going nowhere. But it's funny and it's sad and it's a bizarre soap opera that seems never to end. But it actually will end relatively soon. It'll it'll be much better for the country. Now, there's lots of I've been seeing so many different legal commentators and lawyers saying the behavior of Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell and uh, Jenna Ellis before a variety of courts over the last month, month and a half really does warrant uh, complaints to bar associations and that these are the types of actions that should should really get somebody disbarred. Um, I, I don't think it's likely that that will happen, but understand that they, these figures have crossed over from being like, I guess what we would call legal lawyers into being almost like cult activist type figures where even if they were to be disbarred for the things that they've been doing at this point, they can launch off into being TV lawyers for all sorts of right wing groups or radical organizations or, or reactionary movements. So it, it's almost irrelevant at this point, although I don't think it's a, a, a uh, it goes beyond the facts to say how, how could these people even really still hold uh, uh, bar association licenses. But that that's probably more of a story for post inauguration. Uh, there's something interesting going on within the evangelical Christian movement, which is that to a, to some degree, prominent evangelical Christians have started to sort of turn on Donald Trump or at least acknowledge that it's it's time to go, buddy. Ninety year old extremist evangelical televangelist leader Pat Robertson of 700 club fame accurately assesses the cult of personality around Donald Trump and says it's time to move on. You really have to see this to believe it. And there's an interesting irony here, which I'm going to discuss after uh, discuss with you after we look at this first clip. I think it's all over. I think the Electoral College has spoken. I think the the Biden uh, corruption uh, has not totally been brought to to uh, of fruition, but it doesn't seem to be affecting the Electoral College. And I don't think the Supreme Court is going to move in to do anything. And I think uh, we're going to see a President Biden. And I also think we'll be seeing a President Kamala Harris not too long after the inauguration of President Biden. With all his 
talent and the ability of it to raise money and draw large crowds, the president still lives in an alternate reality. He really does. People say, well, he lies about this, that, and the other. But no, he isn't lying. To him, that's the truth. He had the biggest crowd on Inauguration Day. He had, the, he had more people than ever. Uh, he was the most popular uh, people. Uh, he saved NBC, but with The Apprentice. You, know, you go down the line of things that really aren't true, and you know people kept pointing to them. But because they loved him so much, and he was so strong for the evangelicals, the evangelicals were with him all the way. But there was something about him that was good, that God placed him in that uh, office for the time. He's done a marvelous job for the economy. But at the same time, uh, he is very erratic, and he, uh, he's fired people, and he's fought people, and he's insulted people, and it keeps going down the line. So it's, it's a mixed bag. And I think it, it would be well to say uh, you've had your day and uh, it's time to move on. What I love about this is that the same cult of personality that Pat Robertson identifies as surrounding Donald Trump, the same narcissism that Pat Robertson identifies Trump as suffering from, it's identical to both the followers of evangelical cult, cult leader types like Pat, Pat Robertson and of the fall of the leaders themselves. Uh, we, we wonder, you know, does Trump believe he's a liar or does he know he's lying? The cultish answer would be, you know, eventually cult leaders become so deluded that what may start as things they know to be lies, they end up kind of believing their own lies or, or at least if they know they're lying, they believe they're lying for the right reason because the means justify the ends or they're telling some bigger truth if they don't focus on the minutia. These are really common uh, thought kind of paradigms or, or mental models, I think is the right term for cultish leaders of all kinds. And when Pat Robertson says Trump believes the lies, I suspect that the same applies to many evangelical cultists like Pat Robertson and others we've covered. They believe that the world is better off when people donate to them so that they can buy a private jet because the private jet better allows them to go and spread the gospel or whatever it is that that they claim to do. They get to a point where they have to mostly believe their own lies in order to continue living uh, a semi coherently on just like a day to day practical level. But Pat Robertson is mostly accurate in his analysis of critique uh, and critique of Trump. It's just that most of the analysis would apply as accurately to himself and to other evangelical televangelist types like Pat Robertson. It's actually incredible, though, that Pat Robertson would accuse others of being in an alternate reality because Pat Robertson is a guy who has said that the following list of things can be demonic. Okay. The, Pat Robertson says Trump's in a fantasy world. Pat Robertson has said secondhand sweaters can have demons attached. Ouija boards can be demonic. Yoga is demonic. Harry Potter, Feng Shui, karate, horoscopes, the Twilight series. Actually, you know what? The Twilight series could be demonic. But other than that, this list is crazy. Paintings of Buddha, TV shows about ghosts, Halloween, just writ large. Psychics, young girls who do levitation during sleepovers, and sometimes even adopt <laughs> even adopted children from other countries can be demonic, according to Pat Robertson. 
And Pat Robertson says Trump's living in an alternate reality. What a what a world we live in, isn't it? Now, one other funny thing I didn't know until yesterday that Pat Robertson's son is part of the grift. Gordon Robertson. This is a new I, I guess this is maybe the, the sort of like televangelist heir to Pat Robertson, a Gordon Robertson, who is Pat Robertson's son, is also involved with the 700 Club, and he also seems to have turned on Donald Trump. Here's Gordon Robertson a few weeks ago saying he doesn't think the Trump uh, legal team is is making any sense with what they're doing. Got to ask you if if they're not going to go forward with proof in these press conferences, shouldn't they just shut down the press conferences? Why 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 have them? I, I I'm looking at this; it's a complete disaster for Trump, and and why is he even doing it? They have had other press conferences. There's the famous Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Uh, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be helping. Whenever they get in front of the cameras, it just doesn't seem to be helping. Again, the the question is always, let's see the evidence. But without people sort of buying in that there's evidence of widespread fraud, if you don't have that, and you have state legislatures coming in and saying we're going to invalidate the vote totals and vote our own slate of electors uh, in so that uh, our team gets to win, uh, aren't, aren't you really playing with fire? I mean, at that point in time, mm -hmm. does anyone trust our democracy anymore? I mean, the, all the allegations that uh, we're, we're looking at um, dictatorship, that we're looking at overthrowing democracy, all of those allegations come to the fore. And mm -hmm. I would predict you'd see rioting in the streets. How insane is that? Pat Robertson and Gordon Robertson both saying Trump's wacky while they are completely wacky fascinating to watch. And I, I my instinct is that this seeming realignment um, is going to disappear very quickly and everything will go back to where it was, much like I said um, that Republicans are going to sort of uh, forget about Trump once Trump disappears and who what Trump? I don't know. We, we're here about we're here to lower the dead and prevent socialism or whatever. I assume that the evangelical televangelist types that have started to see a little bit of reason um, are going to go right back to the same stuff. Joe Biden's very demonic and, and so on uh, very quickly. That, that's my prediction. Remains to be seen whether it happens. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. You may not have known this, but when you see me sitting here on the show, I am often wearing shirts by a company called Teddy Stratford. I asked them to be a sponsor because they are by far my favorite shirts that I own with almost all other slim fit button up shirts I've worn. You get this annoying stretched out gap in the chest where the buttons are, which does not look good. But what makes Teddy Stratford shirts unique is this patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which actually prevents the chest from looking weird and stretched out like that. It looks really good. And just all around, they cut the entire shirt in a specific way that makes your upper body look a lot better. It's just a much nicer and more stylish fit than you get from other shirts. And they hand make everything with 100 percent Egyptian cotton and flat felled seams, which means it's going to be a lot more durable than other shirts and last a lot longer, which I really love. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. 
That's P-A-K-M-A-N. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. You know, um, I thought that when we hit 1 million YouTube subscribers a couple of months ago, I thought things would calm down. I think uh, uh, I, I believed everything would normalize with a Sam Cedars show, The Majority Report. And just as a disclaimer, this is just a joke. It's just a break from the serious stuff on today's show. But let's pretend that this, this is for real. Um, I was expecting that we would get past this silly spat with the majority report. I never considered that we were even in a battle with Sam to get to a million subscribers. I think the battle was was mostly going on in Sam's head, quite frankly, and it might have been placed there by a caller to both of our shows named Ronald Reagan and possibly even by Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro and Cuba. But in any case, Sam thought there was a race to a million subscribers. And to the extent that there was, Sam lost that race. Now, the race didn't exist. I wasn't participating in it, but Sam lost the non-existent race. We didn't participate, but we hit a million subscribers and then we hit one point one million subscribers. And now we have surpassed one point two million subscribers. And now good for Sam. Okay, please. Remember, I'm on Sam's team. I want what's best for the movement, not just me. Now, finally, Sam Cedar is approaching one million subscribers on YouTube, and I am the first to be here and issue a preemptive a blanket. Congratulations to Sam on very, very soon hitting a million subscribers. Now, everything was going beautifully until yesterday. A viewer gets in touch with Sam and suggests that Dominion voting systems may be counting YouTube subscriptions and that exactly the same foul play alleged in the 2020 presidential election can be blamed for the David Pakman show YouTube channel hitting not just one million subscribers before Sam, but one point one and one point two million subscribers before Sam. And Sam doesn't even challenge this on his program. Even he seems to take pleasure. He has this like satisfied grin on his face when this is brought up. Take a look at this. YouTube contracts Dominion to count subscriptions. So uh, so many people have subscribed to the majority report that it broke the algorithm and sent your subs to David Pakman. This explains why he is not the one million sub. Winner. <laughs> and he was born in South America. So, you know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's like John McCain running for president. Well, no, I'm saying well, there's no. a connection there to be made. Oh, okay, 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 yeah. Oh, right, I forgot our, our initial scheme here. It was all about Venezuela interfering. Even br- bringing up my South American heritage is is actually that's very low. That that's ugly. Uh, I'm I'm shocked, quite frankly, that Sam Sam chose not to challenge those claims. No, Mickey seems to revel in it. She actually seemed to think that there was something funny here. Now, as a reminder, this is just a joke. We're friends with Sam and Sam's doing great. And he's soon going to be when Sam hits a million. Now, this is serious. When Sam hits a million subscribers, he will be the fourth independent progressive news type show on YouTube to get to a million subscribers. TYT, of course, the big player with five million subscribers, I believe we're at one point two million. Brian Tyler Cohen recently made it over the line and is over one million. And Sam Cedar about to enter the one million subscriber club. 
and we're looking forward to welcoming him. But remember, this is not zero sum. You can subscribe to Sam and to us and to TYT and to whoever else you want to subscribe to. So please do. Um, I've got nothing to sell you here other than a free good time. We're at one point two million. We're almost two hundred thousand YouTube subscribers ahead of where we wanted to be and hoped to be by now. We have the possibility of getting to one and a quarter. That's one point two five million subscribers by uh, January 1st if you help us. So let's make it. I've got nothing to sell you here. I mean, listen, I have things to sell you. I'm not selling them to you right now. Here, I'm just saying participate, subscribe to all of these channels. And uh, if we can say one thing about 2020, it's that the growth that progressive independent media has experienced. And there's two reasons for it. One is the pie is actually getting bigger. I was interviewed not long ago by uh, Professor Richard Wolf, my former professor on his program. And one of the things that's going on is that more people now default to looking on YouTube for analysis and commentary. So the pie is getting bigger, uh, but also certainly um, awareness of programs like ours, Sam's, the Young Turks and and lots of others has been growing. So let's uh, keep it going into 2021. All right. I'm I'm going to have to sort of issue an apology here. Uh, We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. I am causing huge problems for one of our viewers uh, with his fiance. Take a listen to this. Hey, David, my name's Danny. This is the first time I'm calling in, but I've been a listener for a few years now. And um, I was really just calling to ask uh, kindly for you to dial back on the reasonable and wise takes. Right. It's starting to cause some jealousy issues with my fiance uh, (laughs) that I listen to you uh, so often. So sorry. Um, And not only politics, but um, also your assessment of pies and apple pies, especially. Right. Um, I think the only major disagreement I've had lately has been with your take on sweet potatoes as, quote, the Oof. perfect vegetable. Um, in fact, I submit to you that, in fact, bell peppers are the perfect vegetable. Oh, my God. Clean them out. You can eat them like an apple. They taste great. They're not annoyingly spicy. They're crispy. You can stuff them and bake them. Oh, dear. Uh, Anyways, I just need for you to dial back on the stellar opinion pieces. You're handing out media literacy like it's candy on Halloween. Um, (laughs) And uh, you're also the biggest reason I voted. I'm a Bernie supporter, but I voted Biden thanks to you. So um, for the sake of my happily ever after, would you please just cut it out? Yeah. Listen, um, I I apologize that your fiance is getting jealous and and, and all of that. Um, But so here. A, a bell pepper is the is better than a sweet potato. And I, I'm not anti bell pepper in any way. But I but when you're cooking, you dip, a, you dip a bell pepper in some hummus. That's great. But in cooking a jalapeno, OK, you're adding a little heat. But a bell pepper is not dramatically different than an onion in that it gets soft and absorbs the flavor of whatever is there. Sweet potato brings so much more to the table from the standpoint of flavor from the standpoint of nutrition, from the standpoint of of caloric density. And I just read a fascinating I I have loved sweet potatoes since I was a little kid when I was first sampling baby food uh, back in 1984, I guess, 85 and 84. It would have been when I first got my first taste of sweet potato. 
um, my eyes lit up. It was an it was an incredible day. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think because a sweet potato has the word potato in it, that it's it's like a potato. It has nothing to do with a potato. Understand that potatoes are the stems of a plant, whereas sweet potatoes are the root or as some say the root. I say root um, the uh, it's a totally different family. It is uh, the, a potato and a sweet potato could not be more different. And by the way, all these people in the U.S. who interchangeably talk about a sweet potato and a yam. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a yam, an actual yam in the United States. Yams are gigantic compared to sweet potatoes. They look different. Let's stop uh, misnaming sweet potatoes as yams. Anyway, I could go on for probably an hour about sweet potatoes, but the 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 mere idea that a bell pepper is going to hold a candle to sweet potatoes, I find that offensive. But otherwise, I love the praise. I love that this caller voted thanks to the show, et cetera, et cetera. We've got a great bonus show for you today. We'll talk about Rudy Giuliani's slippery cell phone. We will talk about the Vatican's position on vaccines for the virus that use abortion cell lines. Hint, they're OK with it. And Deborah Burks is going bye bye when Joe Biden transitions in because she's retiring. And we'll talk about what we think is behind that. All of those stories and more on today's bonus show. Sign up at joinpacman.com and get instant access to the bonus show. <laughs>